Act Two of Sir Harry Wildair by George Farquhar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Two, Scene One, A Room in Colonel Standard's House. Enter two chambermaids. Are all things set in order? The toilet fixed, the bottles and combs put in form, and the chocolate ready? "'Tis no great matter whether they be right or not, for right or wrong we shall be sure of our lecture. I wish for my part that my time were out. "'Nay, tis a hundred to one, but we may run away before our time be half expired, and she's worse this morning than ever. Here she comes.' "'Enter Lady Lurewell.' "'Ay, there's a couple of you indeed.' But how, how in the name of negligence could you two contrive to make a bed as mine was last night? A wrinkle on one side and a rumple on the other, the pillows awry and the quilt askew. I did nothing but tumble about and fence with the sheets all night long. Ah, oh, my bones ache this morning as if I had lain all night on a pair of Dutch stairs. Go, bring chocolate. And do you hear... Be sure to stay an hour or two at least. Excellent chambermaids. Well, these English animals are so unpolished. I wish the persecution would rage a little harder that we might have more of these French refugees among us. <sighs> these wenches are gone to Smyrna for this chocolate. Re-enter chambermaids with chocolate. And what made you stay so long? I thought we did not stay at all, madam. Only an hour and a half by the slowest clock in Christendom. And such salvers and dishes, too. The Lord be merciful to me, what have I committed to be plagued with such animals? Where are my new Japan salvers? Broke, O oh my conscience, all to pieces, I'll lay my life on't. No, indeed, madam, but your husband. How? Husband? Impudence! I'll teach you manners! Gives her a box on the ear. Husband! Is that your Welsh breeding? Had the colonel a name of his own? Well, then, the colonel. He used him this morning, and we ain't got him since. How the colonel use my things? How dare the colonel use anything of mine? But his campaign education must be pardoned. And I warrant they were feasted about among his dirty levy of disbanded soldiers. For the very thoughts of them fellows with their eager looks, iron swords, tied-up wigs and tucked-in cravats makes me sick as death. Come, let me see. Goes to take the chocolate and starts back. Heavens protect me from such a sight! Lord, girl, when did you wash your hands last? And have you been pawing me all this morning with them dirty fists of yours? Runs to the glass. I must dress all over again. Go, take it away, I shall swoon else. Here, Mrs. Monster, call up my tailor. Exit first chambermaid. And do you hear? You, Mrs. Hobby Horse, see if the company be come to cards yet. Exit second chambermaid. Re-enter chambermaid with remnant. Oh, Mr. Remnant. Uh, I don't know what ails these stays you have made me, but something is the matter. I don't like them. I am very sorry for that, madam. 
But what fault does your ladyship find? I don't know where the fault lies, but in short, I don't like them. I can't tell how. The things are well enough made, but I don't like them. Are they too wide, madame? No. Too straight, perhaps? Not at all. They fit me very well, but... Lord, bless me, can't you tell where the fault lies? Why, truly, madam, I can't tell. But your ladyship, I think, is a little too slender for the fashion. How? Too slender for the fashion, say you? Yes, madam, there's no such things as a good shape worn among the quality. Your fine waists are clear out, clear out, madam. And why did you not plump up my stays to the fashionable size? I made them to fit you, madam. Fit me, fit my monkey. What? Do you think I wear clothes to please myself? Fit me. Fit the fashion, pray, no matter for me. <sighs> I thought something was the matter. I wanted of quality air. Pray, Mr. Remnant, let me have a bulk of quality, a spreading contour. I do remember now the ladies in the apartments, the birth night, were most of them two yards about. Indeed, sir, if you contrive my things any more with your scanty chambermaid's air, you shall work no more for me. I shall take care to please your ladyship for the future. Exit. Enter footman. Madam, my master desires... Hold, hold, fellow, for God's sake, hold. If thou touch my clothes with that tobacco breath of thine, I shall poison the whole drawing room. Stand at the door, pray, and speak. Footman goes to the door and speaks. My master, madam, desires... Oh, hideous! Now the rascal bellows so loud that he tears my head to pieces. To chambermaid. Here, awkwardness, go take the booby's message and bring it to me. Chambermaid goes to the door, whispers, and returns. My master desires to know how your ladyship rested last night, and if you are pleased to admit of a visit this morning. Aye. Excellent, chambermaid and footman. Why, this is civil. "'Tis an insupportable toil, though, for women of quality to model their husbands to good breeding. Enter Colonel Standard. Good morrow, my dearest angel. How have you rested last night? Lord, Lord, Colonel, what a room have you made me here with your dirty feet? Bless me, sir, will you never be reclaimed from your slovenly campaign airs?' "'Tis the most unmannerly thing in nature to make a sliding bow in a lady's chamber with dirty shoes. It rides rudeness upon the boards. Aside. A very odd kind of reception, this, truly. Aloud. I'm very sorry, madam, that the offences of my feet should create an aversion to my company. But for the future, I shall honour your ladyship's apartment as the sepulchre at Jerusalem, and always come in barefoot. Sepulchre at Jerusalem? Your compliment, sir, is very far-fetched. But your feet indeed have a very travelling air. Come, come, my dear. No serious disputes upon trifles. Since you know I never contend with you in matters of consequence. You are still mistress of your fortune, and marriage has only made you more absolute in your pleasure, by adding one faithful servant to your desires. Come, clear your brow of that uneasy chagrin and let that pleasing air take place that first ensnared my heart. 
I've invited some gentlemen to dinner, whose friendships deserve a welcome look. Let their entertainment show how blessed you have made me, by a plentiful fortune and the love of so agreeable a creature. Your friends, I suppose, are all men of quality? Madam, they are officers and men of honour. Officers and men of honour? That is, they will daub the stairs with their feet, stain all the rooms with their wine, talk bawdy to my women, rail at the parliament, then at one another, fall to cutting off throats, and break all my china. Admitting that I kept such company, tis unkind in you, madam, to talk so severely of my friends. But my brother, my dear, is just come from his voyage, and will be here to pay his respects to you. Sir, I shall not be at leisure to entertain a person of his whopping education, I can assure you. Enter Parley, and whispers Lady Lorwell. Sir, I have some business with my woman. You may entertain your sea monster by yourself. You may command a dish of pork and peas with a bowl of punch, I suppose. And so, sir, much good may do you. Come, Parley. Exit with Parley. Hell and furies. Enter Captain Fireball. With all my heart, where's your wife, brother? How now, man? What's the matter? Is dinner ready? No, I don't know. Hang it, I'm sorry I invited you. For you must know that my wife is very much out of order, taken dangerously ill all of a sudden, so that... Ah, nothing, nothing but a marriage qualm, breeding children or breeding mischief. Where is she, man? Prithee, let me see her. I long to see this fine lady you have got. Upon my word, she's very ill and can't see anybody. So ill she can't see anybody? What, she's not in labour, sure. I tell you, I will see her. Where is she? Looking about. No, no, brother. She's gone abroad to take the air. What the devil? Dangerous sick and gone out? So sick that she'll see nobody within, yet gone abroad to see all the world? Ah, you have made your fortunes with a vengeance. Then, brother, you shall dine with me at Lockett's. I hate these family dinners where a man's obliged to... Oh, lard, madame, no apology, dear sir. Tis very good indeed, madame. For yourself, dear madame. Where between the rough floor underfoot, the china in one corner and the glasses in another, a man can't make two strides without hazard of his life. Could mend me to a boy and a bell. Coming, coming, sir. Much noise, no attendance, and a dirty room where I may eat like a horse, drink like a fish, and swear like a devil. Hang your family dinners. Come along with me. Enter Banter, who, seeing them, seems to retire. Who's that? Come in, sir. Your business, pray, sir? Perhaps, sir, it may not be so proper to inform you for you appear to be as great a stranger here as myself. Come, come away, brother. He has some business with your wife. His wife? Oh, Getzo. A pretty fellow. A very pretty fellow. A likely fellow, and a handsome fellow. I find nothing like a monster about him. I would fain see his forehead, though. Sir, your humble servant. Yours, sir? But why do you stare so in my face? I was told, sir, that the Lady Lewell's husband had something very remarkable over his eyes, by which he might be known. Aside to Colonel Standard. Mark that, brother. 
Your information, sir, was right. I have a cross cut over my left eye that's very remarkable. But pray, sir, by what marks are you to be known? Sir, I am dignified and distinguished by the name and title of Beau Banter. I'm younger brother to Sir Harry Wildair, and I hope to inherit his estate with his humour, for his wife, I'm told, is dead, and has left no child. Oh, sir, I'm your very humble servant. You're not unlike your brother in the face. But methinks, sir, you don't become his humour altogether so well. For what's nature in him looks like affectation in you. Oh, Lord, sir, tis rather nature in me what is acquired by him. He's beholding to his education for his heir. Now, where do you think my humour was established? Where? At Oxford. At, At Oxford? Aye. There have I been sucking my dear Alma Mater these seven years. Yet, in defiance to legs of mutton, small beer, crabbed books and sour-faced doctors, I can dance a minuet, court a mistress, play at picket, or make a parole with any while there in Christendom. In short, sir, in spite of the university, I'm a pretty gentleman. Colonel, where's your wife? Mimicking banter. In spite of the university, I'm a pretty gentleman. Then, Colonel, where is your wife? Hark ye, young Plato, whether would you have your nose slit or your ears cut? <laughs> First tell me, sir, which will you choose? To be run through the body or shot through the head? Follow me and I'll tell ye. Sir, my servants shall attend you, if you have no equipage of your own. Blood, sir. Hold, brother, hold. He's a boy. Look here, sir, I keep half a dozen footmen that have no business upon earth but to answer impertinent questions. Now, sir, if your fighting stomach can digest these six brawny fellows for a breakfast, their master, perhaps, may do you the favour to run you through the body for a dinner. Sir, will you fight me? I received just now six months' pay, and by this light I'll give you the half for one fair blow at your skull. Down with your money, sir. No, no, brother. If you are so free of your pay, get into the next room. There you'll find some company at cards, I suppose. You may find opportunity for revenge. My house protects him now. Well, sir, the time will come. Exit. Well said, brazenhead. I hope, sir, you'll excuse the freedom of this gentleman. His education has been among the boisterous elements, the wind and the waves. Sir, I value neither him nor his wind and waves neither. I'm privileged to be very impertinent, being an Oxonian, and obliged to fight no man, being a bow. I admire the freedom of your condition. But pray, sir, have you seen your brother since he came last over? I haven't seen my brother these seven years, and scarcely heard from him but by report of others. About a month ago he was pleased to honour me with a letter from Paris, importing his design of being in London very soon, with a desire of meeting me here. Upon this I changed my cap and gown for a long wig and sword, and came up to London to attend him. Went to his house, but that was all in sables for the death of his wife. There I was told that he designed to change his habitation, because he would avoid all remembrances that might disturb his quiet. You are the first person that has told me of his arrival, and I expect that you may likewise inform me where to wait on him. And I suppose, sir, this was the business that occasioned me the honour of this visit. 
partly this and partly an affair of greater consequence you must know sir that though i have read ten thousand lies in the university yet i have learned to speak the truth myself and to deal plainly with you the honour of this visit as you were pleased to term it was designed to the lady lurewell my wife sir my lady lurewell i say sir but i say my wife sir what <laughs> why look here sir you may have the honour of being called the lady lurewell's husband but you will never find in any author either ancient or modern that she is called mr standard's wife tis true you're a handsome young fellow she liked you she married you and though the priest made you both one flesh yet there's no small distinction in your blood you are still a disbanded colonel and she is still a woman of quality i take it and you are the most impudent young fellow i've ever met with in all my life i take it sir i am master of arts and i plead the privilege of my standing enter footman and whispers banter sir the gentleman in the coach below says he'll be gone unless you come presently exit i had forgot colonel your humble servant sir you must excuse me for not waiting on you downstairs exit banter an impudent young dog exit scene two another room in the same enter lady lorwell ladies marquis and captain fireball as losing gamesters one after another tearing their cards and flinging them about the room parley and several footmen attending ruined undone destroyed oh fortune 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 what will my husband say oh malheur 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 blood and fire i've lost six months pay a hundred and ten pistols sink me sink you sink me that have lost two hundred and ten pistoles sink you indeed but why would you hazard the bank upon one card because me had lose by the card three times before look dear madame the very next card had been our i relied altogether on your setting the cards you used to tie ye with success Bleu, madame me never lose before but that monsieur is a harry that chevalier wilder is the devil there is the chevalier counting our money within yonder go go be gone and bethink yourself of some revenge exit marquis here he comes enter sir harry wilder fifteen hundred and seventy louis d'or doll doll de roll look ye gentlemen anybody may dance to this tune doll doll de roll i dance to the tune of fifteen hundred pound the most elevated piece of music that i ever heard in my life they are the prettiest castanets in the world chinks the money here waiters there's cards and candles for you gives the footman money mrs parley here's hoods and scarfs for you gives her money excellent parley and the footman and here's fine coaches splendid equipage lovely women and victorious burgundy for me oh ye charming angels the loser's sorrow and the gainer's joy get ye into my pocket 
now gentlemen and ladies i am your humble servant you'll excuse me i hope the small devotion here that i pay to my good fortune how now mute why ladies i know that losers have leave to speak but i don't find that they're privileged to be dumb monsieur ladies captain claps captain fireball on the shoulder death in hell why just strike me sir drawing to comfort you sir you're here captain the king of spain is dead the king of spain dead dead as julius caesar i had a letter on it just now sings too too well look ye sir pray strike me again if you please see here sir you have left me but one solitary guinea in the world puts it in his mouth down it goes the faith alone's for the thatched house and the mediterranean tolderell exit singing <laughs> bravely resolved captain bless me sir harry i was afraid of a quarrel i am so much concerned at the loss of your money madam but why why should the fair be afflicted your eyes your eyes ladies much brighter than the sun have equal power with him and can transform to gold whate'er they please the lawyer's tongue the soldier's sword the courtier's flattery and the merchant's trade are slaves that dig the golden mines for you your eyes untie the miser's knotted purse to one lady melt into coin the magistrate's massy chain youth mints for you hereditary lands to another lady and gamesters only win when they can lose to you to lady lorwell this lark is the most rhetorical thing in nature i have a great mind to forswear cards as long as i live and i exit and i exit crying what forswear cards why madam you'll ruin our trade i'll maintain that the money at court circulates more by the basset bank than the wealth of the merchants by the bank of the city cards the great ministers of fortune's power that blindly shuffle out her thoughtless favours and make a knave more powerful than a king what adoration do these powers receive lifting up a card from the bright hands and fingers of the fair always lift up to pay devotion here and then the pleasing fears the anxious hopes and dubious joy that entertain our mind the capot at piquet the paroli at basset and then ombre who can resist the charms of matadores i sir harry and then the sept leva quinze leva and trente leva right right madam then the nine of diamonds at comet three fives at cribbage and pam in lanterloo sir harry ay madam these are charms indeed then the pleasure of picking your husband's pocket overnight to play at basset next day then the advantage a fine gentleman may make of a lady's necessity by gaining a favour for fifty pistoles 
which a hundred years' courtship could never have produced. Nay, nay, Sir Harry, that's foul play. Nay, nay, madam, tis nothing but the game. And I have played it so in France a hundred times. Come, come, sir, no more on't. I'll tell you in three words that rather than forego my cards, I'll forswear my visits, fashions, my monkey, friends, and relations. There spoke the spirit of true-born English quality, with a true French education. Look ye, Sir Harry, I am well-born, and I was well-bred. I brought my husband a large fortune. He shall mortgage, or I will elope. No, no, madam, there's no occasion for that. See here, madam. What? The singing birds, Sir Harry? Let me see. Phew, madam, these are but a few. But I could wish, de tout mon coeur pour quelque commodité, where I might be handsomely plundered of them. Ah, chevalier, toujours obligeant, engageant, et tout ça. Allons, allons, madame, tout à votre service. Pulls her. No, no, Sir Harry, not at this time of day. You shall hear from me in the evening. Then, madam, I'll leave you something to entertain you the while. Tis a French pocket-book, with some remarks of my own upon the new way of making love. Please to peruse it, and give me your opinion in the evening. Exit. Opening the book. A French pocket-book, with remarks upon the new way of making love. Then Sir Harry is turning author, I find. What's here? <laughs> a bank bill for a hundred pound. The new way of making love. Pardis et fort galant. One of the prettiest remarks that ever I saw in all my life. Well now, that will there is a charming fellow. <laughs> He has such an air and such a turn in what he does. I warrant now there's a hundred homebred blockheads would come. Madam, I'll give you a hundred guineas if you'll let me. Faw! Hang their nauseous, immodest proceedings. Here's a hundred pound now, and he never names the thing. I love an impudent action with an air of modesty with all my heart. Exit. End of Act 2